Hi, this is Karina Ganters, host of Behind the Pen, and you're listening to the audio podcast. Enjoy. I'm Karina Gantis, your host for Behind the Pen. Welcome for joining me for this episode. I am a author of 14 books. I'm also a podcaster. I am the radio host of the author, uh, the Artist First Radio Network Author Assist. And I also run Author Assist, which helps and market independent and contracted authors uh, with their book and other services. Today, my guest, I'm going to get this name wrong straight away. My, today, my guest is Alexandra Nikalski. Welcome to the show, Ali. Thank you so much. So great to be here. Thanks for having me. You're over in the US, I can tell from your accent. Whereabouts? Uh, right now, I'm in Orange County, California, sunny California. So behind the pen is for anyone who holds a pen, works with a pen, could be an artist, a musician, a um, illustrator, a writer, a director, um, a screenplay, and so on and so on and so on. But also I know that when you're an artist, you're not just in one field, you're pretty good at a couple of, you've got a couple of hidden talents. And we like to talk about them as well. So Ali, what is your artistic talent? What do you use your pen for? <laughs> well, many things. Um, so right now in June, I own a film festival, the Zeitgeist Film Festival, and that is based off of my work that I started in 2012 when I started teaching science fiction film. Then I went on to move to England and I started uh, my film festival there while I was getting my PhD in apocalyptic films. So I have many different ways of writing uh, dissertation for any of you that are writing a dissertation, you know that academic writing is very different than creative writing. Um, I am a contextualizer, if anything. I am more of a commentator than writing fiction. I like to look at the collective consciousness, which is pretty much what zeitgeist means, is the spirit of the age. And I see now what others will see in retrospect years from now. So I try to contextualize what's going now on now in the world through art and film and write about that. There's uh, a lot of uh, sci-fi writers that are putting the uh, pandemic into their books now because they're writing in the future. And of course it's already happened. And so it's one of the major, well, the biggest uh, thing to happen in the world um, so it's got to be uh, mentioned in the book if you're talking about uh, sci-fi and stuff. Um, you said the uh, copolytic, so I'm thinking uh, a dystopian sort of end of the world type of. Book. Well, it's funny that you say that because my work is actually on auspicious apocalypse, which means the apocalypse is a good thing, a way to um, end this like late capitalism, postmodern quagmire we're in and a chance to start over. So yes, it could be dystopian, but always as a phoenix, you know, civilizations rise from the ashes. So I look at it from a more positive aspect and how we can take things such as the pandemic and how we can collectively grow from it 
and be able to restart uh, systems that weren't previously working for us. So, so I'm assuming that you've got uh, fiction novels published. Oh, me? I have no fiction novels no? published. All my publications are academic writing. <laughs> right. Because so, you know so much. I can imagine you really oh, in there and having a go well, doing one. I've been working on my memoirs for 10 years now. It just seems oh. I don't know how to end it. You know other writers. You just don't know when to stop. I have like, like my book is literally in like four of these artistic, like, I, I just need to type it and edit it. But oh. soon, soon, hopefully. Uh, my other work that I uh, work on is Generation X, I'm 45 years old, and how we are between the boomers and the millennials and how we kind of got caught in between and we're really not part of the conversations going on in, you know, politics and culture, we're just kind of the forgotten generation. So a lot of my work is based on Gen X and our uh, contribution to the collective consciousness. So but I have to ask your age work. now. I know you should never ask a lady around. 45. But... I'm 45. But I'm in the same generation as you, honey. <laughs> so you're going to have to explain more about this when you say that we're not. Up yeah. to speed well, the boomers, with... they don't seem to go away. They're just, <laughs> at least in American politics, they're, they're not letting us. I remember I had a conversation with my aunt um, about Andrew Yang, how I support him politically. And she said, oh, well, they all like these old politicians. And she's like, well, we just don't trust you guys yet. I'm like, you guys, like, we're still grounded. Like, we're in our 40s and 50s. When are they going to, you know, Listen let to us run the show? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and millennials, cool. I have a lot of, I teach as well. I'm a professor of science fiction film. Uh, my students, millennials, they're like, oh, they're very, you know, kind of known for their sarcasm and, and quirkiness. And uh, and I'm just like, we haven't even gotten Gen X. Dude, wait, like Gen X, we're going to get ours and then you'll get yours. Like, just be patient. So <laughs> I'm a champion for Gen X. We knew how to party. We knew pop culture. We had the best movies. We had the best films, music, anyway, didn't fashion. Get so anyway. I'm trying to champion all of that and be the bridge because we were the last generation to grow up before computers, before all the Zoom. So we remember what it's like to, you know, be on the landline and make plans and, and show up. And now we're kind of like and thrown write, write letters. Yeah, and write letters. I still write letters. I'm oh, a avid writer and journalist. I write my, my journal. Um, so yeah, I, I really want to advocate that humanity, that, that connection that we had as Gen Xers and try to instill that back into this tech you know oriented world back in those days we we never really had anything to worry about we were never you know we right we're tethered to... we're tethered on these like people expect ah it gives me like cyber anxiety you're right i i liked being free not you yeah. know having to answer to anybody like you get home when you get home now yeah. parents uh, i don't mean to like their, little no they're spill too the scared tea. to let people out yeah yeah I understand. yeah, yeah. Things i'm not gonna lie i yeah, I, from yeah. our generation to what we're going through now, even if we hadn't got the pandemic, things have changed so drastically. Um, I mean, you could have left your front door open uh, oh. without any problems and you could have walked around the streets without any problems. Well, at least over here you could have. Um, but things have changed. Things have just got violent and um well, and I also think the younger generation are kind of stunted. They're kind of socially stunted. I've noticed this in both my students and my dating life. I, I'm a cougar. I date younger guys. But, like, they don't seem to be able to have a conversation with people they don't know. They have this, like, 
uh, fear of answering the phone if they don't know the number. They have this fear of, you know, they're very connected online, but in real life, they're very stunted. I've been noticing this trend. And so I do think the technology is developing quicker than our, you know, um, reaction to that, it. And that's the not... scary part. It's, it's how much we're giving over to technology, what we're allowing yeah. them to, to, to take over and to know about us. I mean, you've got so many sci-fi movies that have come true already, which is yeah. absolutely <laughs> terrifying. And we're living in a sci-fi movie at the moment, you know. I know, we are, absolutely. I agree with that. I When I teach uh, uh, the China Syndrome, you know, that was science fiction. And then the Three Mile Island uh, meltdown, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. It became science fiction to thriller in less than like two weeks. So we are like things like Soylent Green scare me. A lot of films from the 70s are, you know, coming true with the whole global warming. They knew about this in the 70s and they sounded the alarm and we just, you know, and I just saw this thing about that 10 story thing from China, the space trash that's going to crash to the island, crash to earth. And we're living in space trash surrounding the earth. So we trash the earth. Now we're going to trash space. I mean, it's just unbelievable how we just, the human hubris our, our human hubris will be our undoing, but it's also yeah. our greatest flaw and tragic flaw. But also, I think we subconsciously like to destroy ourselves so we can create ourselves again. I think it's I, like I think we are definitely going to have not in our generation or our kids' generation or their kids' generation, but the world will start again. It will. It's like what you what you write about uh, whether it gets destroyed completely or whether you know it's or it's just global, capitalism or something or global warming or, or something will take it out and we would have to start again and it's if you go through the the centuries uh, with the dinosaurs and what have you every amount of time earth has started again you got the ice age well, all the great civilizations, you know, that you think what happened to the Egyptians, what happened to the Mayans, they have these thriving civilizations, and they had amazing technology, and then they're gone. You know, yeah. why? And then we go to the Dark Ages. Why do we go from the great philosophers of Greece to a time of ignorance and, and, and the Dark Ages? So it is very cyc cyclical. Next. Yeah. It's scary so. to think what's coming next. You know, it's uh, I think yeah, it the, is. the pandemic is definitely a wake up call for a lot of people who's who've just taken not just the world for granted, but taken life for granted. You know, and like you say, you think like, it's a wake up call. I don't know if people have learned. They said that after 9-11 and they still, you know, I, I'm still seeing around me, even with COVID, especially in America. We call them the COVID idiots. Um, oh. They just still they actually made it worse. Like their ignorance is coming to surface yeah. about not wanting to wear a mask, not wanting to get a vaccine, not mm -hmm. wanting to actually learn science. I feel like we're in a new dark ages right now where ignorance is embraced, especially here with the rise of populism. So yeah, it's different over here in Greece. I mean, as soon as it was um, classed as a pandemic, uh, our prime minister, thankfully, um, went and straight away put us under strict lockdown. And we've just come out of it after over a year. And we're talking strict as in you can't leave your house without sending an SMS to say where you're going and getting permission to leave. You have to carry your ID with you. And if you get stopped and you haven't got the message on your phone or the ID, 300 euros immediate fine. You know, and because... How has mental health gone though? Like in Greece, has there been a mental health 
epidemic? Because certainly not, here there has been. Not at the moment. Um, I think um, the young, the young, younger generation were still out partying uh, until they started getting fined, and then they started listening. Um, but the older generation were in the houses anyway, so it's no different for them. Um, I think my my daughter's uh, seventeen, and she's had a hard time with it. Online schooling and missing social connection with her friends. Even though you can speak online, there's nothing like having a hug and and chatting and getting close to someone. And I think um, we will see some fallback on that in a few years, if anything uh, is going to happen um, mentally, because. I don't think we're ever going to get to how we were. We're never going no. to get to um, normalcy. Normal. Yeah. We, we just have to uh, just uh, live with what we've, what we've um, created now and, and get on with life. But it's mm -hmm. never going to be the same. And I think it's going to take maybe four or five years before it really hits um, physically, uh, mentally, what has happened and how people have coped with it but over here not not so much but like i said he was very we were one of the lowest in europe for um cases and deaths because of his strict uh, action fast acting and strict and it's only like i went to town yesterday with my family for the first time in over a year shopping and even then you had to give your telephone number before you were allowed into the shop in case anything happened and they could get in touch with people that had been in the shop to let them know that. Wow. Uh, That's so funny that you say that because to me, and I'm not, uh, you know, uh, anti-vaxxer or Trump supporter in any way, but what you just told me seems so extreme. There's no way that would ever fly in the States. Ever, exactly, even the but, left liberal Democrats would never do exactly. That. But look, look what's happened because he did do that, and we paid attention to it. And it weren't just the fines and going out. You can oh you God. can have a you have a number to go out for exercise, a number to go out to the doctors, a number to go out um, for um, shopping. I mean, even the supermarkets, they closed off some of their aisles and you were only allowed to buy food and necessaries. Wow. Anything else you weren't allowed to touch. Well, this is a philosophical discussion then, you know, the good of the collective or your individual. I don't know. This is such a, oh, I don't think I could do that. I don't know if I could do that. I would take my chances. And we some did people it. would say, you know what? I'd rather die than be a prisoner. I'd rather we die than live in this fascist, have to put on my phone or be traced or this or that. I don't know. Yeah, it's, this is, it, you're right. It, it's it's going to take a long time for us to have these conversations. Yeah. We're not out of the woods yet. We're not. No this way. No way. You know? Like I said, I, it's the first time we went out shopping and we still couldn't, some of the shops wouldn't let you in if you hadn't already rung in advance and booked an appointment to to go and collect something you know it's it's crazy but it's it's worked over here it's you know we've had like i said the less numbers the less deaths so we we did something right and people are listening to it and now slowly like i said he's the the lockdown is gone it we we still we still have to do the messages on the phone um but we can go out now and we can um 
uh, go for a coffee for the first time in over a year and sit with a friend for the first time in over a year. Um, it, it was drastic, it was strict, um, and it wasn't fair to a lot of, especially young people. I miss, They missed all their exams. The only exams they're doing now is to actually get into university, but their actual school exams, they didn't have to do, um, which is great. I think for some young, some young people are really happy about that, you know, but um, it just puts a lot of pressure, I think, on them. And especially, like I said, with young people, they need that social connection. You've oh, I teach online. I hate right? it. I told the I told the school if we're online next semester, I'm not going to do it. I'm live with the students and having a conversation. You, you can't do that on Zoom. It's missing that, like you were saying. I mean, I wish we were being interviewed <laughs> face to face right now. Yeah. But uh, I don't. And I was. I've been taking some classes and I also teach classes both ways. I had to drop the classes because I didn't learn. I can't learn on Zoom. I can't. Maybe it's just me, but I've been reading studies and a lot of students have dropped out as well. And they're yeah. just not feeling it. And yeah. I, I really feel bad for them. They lost a year of their life. To me, I, you know, a year of your life when you're 40 is different when you're 17. It, it is because because it's at, at that time where they're going through the changes yeah. and they're going through the, the moodiness and the depression yeah. and have that on top of everything. I can't imagine. imagine when I was 17, I was trying to, you no. know, sneak out of the house with my friends and there's been, you know, there's been suicides. There's been, there's been, yeah. uh, you know, serious cases and, and there's going to be more before, yeah. this, before we get back to how we were. My youngest goes to school. We've just had Easter holidays here and she'll actually be going back to school. Um, she had to do a uh, test to show that she didn't have the virus and prove that with paper. Um, but they haven't had their vaccine yet their actual vaccine. Uh, I don't know when that's coming. And I don't know how I feel about that, to be honest, but that's another story. <laughs> um, well, yeah, about... I mean, for my festival, I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to not go back to normalcy, but us having a social, I'm the only film festival that's going live. Everybody went virtual. And I took that chance back in September. I said, ooh, you know, I put all my savings, my life savings on the line to do the venues, to plan this. And we are being super safe. We're doing, you know, half capacity, but we're still going to have events where people can come and collectively watch cinema because to, to me, cinema is a, a, a shared experience. And we're going to have these conversations. I mean, when the theme is, is LA Apocalypse. It's June 4th, 5th, and 6th. Yeah. See, that, see I mean, we're, we're in May now and, and things are calming down. So, and I know that my clients, um, my author clients, have started going to conventions now, started going to book signings. And like you say, they're just taking extra precautions but they're starting to open. So I think this summer we're going to see, especially over in the US, we're going to see um, less virtual marketing now and more face-to-face uh, -face and more socialing and socializing. And with your, your festival and you say that you own it, I mean, well, how did this all start? Why did you, why did you go that route when you <laughs> because, were well I mean I worked for a lot of for like 15 years now I worked in festivals for other people and I saw <laughs> what was being done wrong and I said well I can do this I can start my own I was a programmer and that's where you select the films you curate you curate the themes mm -hmm. and I started in Norwich as a matter of fact the Norwich Radical Film Festival long story there Radical. but um <laughs> 
I said, you know, I can do this myself. And it, it takes a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of like asking favors and people like you. So they do favors for you, not the festival. And then I moved the festival to Amsterdam. And then I had two seasons there and I just moved it before the pandemic here. And so I moved back from Europe during a pandemic with my own festival and I have never been so stressed out in my life. And I know we're all experiencing stress and anxiety, but I'll tell you, I, I, I found that reservoir of strength somewhere inside of me that I think I didn't tap into previously. It's like a dormant volcano and I had Why to find it. Why did you leave though from Amsterdam? You'd been there two years. Was yeah. it working out or you just well, had more opportunity back in California? Yeah, I mean... Europe is great when it comes to vacations and holidays, but when you're running a business, it's kind of hard because you try and call people and they're like, oh, they're on holiday and where nobody's there covering for them. And I was just like, oh man. And the grants and stuff, because I was an immigrant, they would only give it to Dutch citizens. So I had to hustle to get money for funding. And I thought if I'm going to hustle, I might as well do it where I know how to do it. And then the weather as well, as we were saying before the interview started, it was, I got sad. I got seasonal affective disorder. I'm really bad where I was depressed. Wow. And it's funny because during the pandemic, I was less depressed than I was in <laughs> Amsterdam. So everybody's depressed. I'm like, welcome to how I felt in, you yeah. know, bad weather. So here, at least there's sunshine. And I, I, I'm, I'm, and you have that in Greece over there, but you know, there's yeah. just something about the ocean. You have the Mediterranean and it just naturally there's something about us and the connection to nature that I think we lose when we're all on our phones and stuff. We got to just breathe and take it's, in that energy. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, we go out for coffee and there's just no communication because everyone's on their phone. Oh. I, I'm one, I'm the same, you know. I run a business, so I'm on my phone constantly or I'm reading on Wattpad and I'm sitting there drinking my coffee, reading on Wattpad. That's my socializing. I love doing that. Um, and if I've got a friend in front of me, of course, I'm not going to be rude and do that. But if she right. goes on her phone, I'll pick my phone. But as a businesswoman yourself, you must use your phone all the time. Yeah, I hate it. I, I feel like I got to get blue light glasses now or something because I, I get headaches and, and I, I feel tethered. And I think, how did people do this before all the technology? You did it nine to five and then you went home and you're with your family. I don't think people respect boundaries, personal boundaries. Our work leads into our personal life. And so I really Most have to definitely. set strict boundaries. Now running a festival, it's showtime. Like right now I'm working 24 seven, but you. after the festival, I'm taking a month off. Don't even call me, don't email me, don't talk to me. Cause I have to detox from electronics. And, and I think it's really important that everybody does that, you know, every now and People then. Don't know. They just, they're, they're addicted. It's, uh, they're, it's, it's taking over, it's taking over their lives. You know, if you, if you're not on your laptop, you're on your phone. Yeah. It, well, it's this gratification or validation addiction because it does send dopamine signals. There've been tons of studies done and I am the reverse. If I see too many emails, I get anxiety or I see notifications I get oh, I don't want it I don't want the validation I want anonymity I don't want anybody to know me when I was in my 20s I wanted to be famous I wanted everybody to love me now I want no one to know me. even though here I am director of a film festival. festival no no so you're you're director of a film festival I, everyone needs to know you I know, you need to know I know everyone there's no getting away from technology in the in, in the industry of what you're working with. No way. Um, you know what's funny? Let me ask you. Okay, so you know the archetypes. All of us writers know the archetypes. Yeah. 
and the hero's journey. Well, what I really like is the wise old woman or the wise old man, like Obi-Wan Kenobi, Gandalf, they all live like hermits out in the desert away from society. And now I understand why. <laughs> I can't wait to I am there. Well, I'm you want to be a hobby, don't you? <laughs> I want to be a wizard or a Jedi out somewhere where nobody can find me, like the Rise of Skywalker, they needed the map to find Luke. You need to find like a map on four different planets to find me because I'm ready. Hey, if things get much worse in America, I'm not going to lie. I will retire and just do podcasts and I will go to Fiji and have a pina colada bar and a blow up film festival, Mm. like on a, on the beach, I'll have a blow up screen because I'm not going to lie. Even with the pandemic, people are so greedy. When I came back to the States, People, like, I lost a venue because they wanted $40,000 up front. I said, I'm a nonprofit organization. Can we, like, work out payment systems because we're selling tickets and we got sponsors coming in? They're like, nope. So right now I'm hustling to find another venue because I'm like, it's COVID. Let me sell my tickets. Let me do what I got to do. But you want, like, like we're operating business as usual. It's not business as usual. No, and not. that to me... Oh, I can't believe how that, this is, this is. Yeah, when you're saying greed, this amazes me because so many people have been out of work and lost their yeah. business. Yeah. And you think that the ones that are Cut still in business yeah. would lower their prices because of the situation where, in fact, they're like, oh, no, business is back. We've, yeah, let's get the money that we've lost. And yeah. no, that's that's wrong. Oh, it is wrong. They said, well, if you don't pay the money, we'll give it to some wedding. And I'm like, oh, now that things are opening up, back in September, you were romancing me when nobody wanted anything. Mm-hmm. And now, and it's not like I don't have the money. I will have the money, but they want it before the event. And that's the thing I miss about Europe. They invoice you after the event. And everything's yeah. included, insurance, AV. And now they all want it up front. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm a ticketed event. Let me sell my tickets. And they you- want 40 grand in like two weeks. I'm like, have you found somewhere else yet, Ali? Uh, Monday, we're going to, we're promoting it. Yeah, I think I did. Good. <laughs> I think fingers I did. Crossed, fingers crossed. So, <laughs> well, I'll just, I have vegetable. a blow up screen. I'll just put it up in my apartment. You know, what, it's, what, the show what, must go on. Yeah. What, what sort of films? We're talking about independent filmmaking. Yeah, well, so we have 158 films that I hand curated over the last year and a half. The theme is LA apocalypse. So we're doing retrospectives where LA is a character during the apocalypse. So a lot of times you see films where the city is very much a character in the story. Mm. So we're doing some retrospectives. Our opening night film, Night of the Comet, we have like 15 people from the film, cast and crew coming. It's like this reunion. And it's it's really amazing. They all said yes right after the vaccine happened. They're like, sign me up. I'll be okay there we go and then um we do have independent films we have uh short films from all around the world like every festival says that but they kind of piggyback off of Sundance and Cannes whereas I handpick myself with zeitgeist of what's going on what's current in the world and I program them in themes a lot of festivals they do short program one short program two I theme it all so there is like some films about the the kindness of others So how in disasters, how we rise to the challenge and care about the other, the stranger. Um, We have documentaries that are actually like well-made and not preaching at you. I hate leaving the theater feeling guilty and (laughs) (laughs) preaching at. 
I don't um, like it shoved in my face. Yeah, I don't want to be spoon fed ideology. Yeah. Let me think of my own, you know, conclusions. Yeah. And then we have uh, animation. I love animation. And we have experimental films. And then also cross generational. We have stuff for the boomers. My dad's coming. He's 80 years old. He wants to see this stuff. So I got films for that crew. The Gen Xers will be happy. I got stuff for the millennials and the Gen Zers. So I make sure I'm cross. You know, a lot of people focus on race and gender. I'm a generation girl. So I focus on generation identity. Make sure you've covered all the ages. Yeah. I, I covered all the ages. So my 80-year-old dad will be happy and an eight-year-old child will be happy. So I got I got you covered at my festival. And we have the social, the part the festival, when they go online, they, they're missing that part after the film. They're like, let's talk, let's get excited, let's have a drink, let's have some food and get excited with like-minded. And, and the audience, I like to break that barrier, the filmmakers. I don't invite filmmakers that aren't accessible. They're going to hide out in their room. You're not invited. We need to have this conversation about your art and how it's received and how it's, you know, the, the spectatorship. So, so you, I break down done, barriers. When you've done the film, do you then have this uh, Q&A with the director, with the actors well, after? Well, a lot of people now have uh, ADD and they can't sit through that. So what I do is because I'm a film professor, I intro the film first. I preface it with the filmmakers and tell them what you should be looking for. Kind of like a teacher, like look out for these themes. Da, da, da. And then after the film, we have a reception where the filmmaker is available and then the audience can come up and, and talk to them one-on-one -on -one there. And um, it's kind of like we'll all sit in a circle and talk about the film instead of, Q and A. What do you think? And then <laughs> right, not, right with the microphone. You're on the yeah, spot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, let's have a conversation more than a being put on the spot. That's what I do. That's I, really cool. Where Where does the the name come from? Because it sounds German. Like guys, it is German. It's it means the spirit of the age, <gasps> sign of the times. Yeah, Zeitgeist is the spirit of the age, and that, that is fabulous is my rebranding that has been my entire life's work is why do I love this pop culture? Why do I love Gen X so much? What did it represent for me as an American growing up in the eighties? And uh, I like studying these different periods of time and how politics and culture really affect the art. And I've had great conversations with filmmakers and other artists about how it is infused into your work. You cannot not ignore what's going on in the world when you create your art. That's, 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 that's it. I mean, the same when you're writing, um, Back in 27 years ago, when I wrote my first book, we were in that era. So there was smoking allowed. There was, <laughs> you know, you'd go into an old bar and it'd be stinking of cigarettes and <laughs> your hair. You come home from the club. Ooh, yeah, 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 like yeah. A sponge. <laughs> exactly. And and uh, so the whole the whole base of the the story is based in those times right um and how life was then and 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 when you look at it now and you see all these rules and regulations yeah, yeah. And things we can't get away oh, with they're trying do to do that now. with like getting rid of gone with the wind and it offends people but it's like if you contextualize it and say yes this was made during this time and this is what people thought at the time and teach people about it instead of erasing it because it offends Don't people erase it why would it offend yes. anyone it's one of the classic amazing because, and and well, because it, it portrays black women poorly, but here's the thing. Hattie McDaniel was the first black woman to win the Oscar. The Oscar. So, so you erase her legacy if you erase oh that. Oh my film. gosh. It's, hey, both sides of the aisle here in the U.S. are so extreme 
that when you're like me and you're just in the middle and you're not even in the middle, I'm out of politics. I just look at it objectively. And it's just ridiculous how they're trying to, oh, this is offensive, get rid of it. This is offensive, get rid of it. Instead of contextualizing it, you yeah. can't erase history. That's wrong. It's not to, I mean, it's not just about history. I mean, I hate talking about religion and what have you, but I was so shocked when I went back to the UK to, to have my my child and I went to the chapel because I, I was scared. I was alone. I was on my own. I was scared. And I just wanted to go to the chapel and feel good. I walked in and it was like a room, empty room. There was nothing. I said, I walked back out to the nurse. I said, can you show me where the chapel is, please? just there they took everything out so not to offend people wait wait what what offended with the cross exactly oh my god i was <laughs> i i didn't realize things were so bad over there that oh yeah i mean you know, I at the like schools now, but they're getting rid of like i'm seeing kids at the schools in my time when you were at school, school assembly, before you started class, you sang, the whole school sang, uh, yeah. uh, you know, hymns and, and songs about the environment. And, and it was fun and it was something that we all did. And now they yeah. can't do that anymore. No. And now when I teach class, I have to let the students know beforehand if there's trigger warnings. Like, oh, I show don't stop me with trigger warnings. Yeah. Oh, it's like if you're in college, you're there to be exposed and challenged. What I have to now coddle people and hold their hand. But here's another sensitive. thing. I don't know if I want to teach anymore. All the mm -hmm. things I built in my career to be where I am today, I don't know if I want to do anymore because That's it's not sad. satisfying. Back in 2012, when I started, you know, the students and me, we had this conversation and now people are like, oh, I don't know if I can watch that film. I'm like Suspiria about from Dario Argento. It's about like witches in a ballet school. I'm like, really? Why are you in film school? Why Go, go into quarantine, go into lockdown, <laughs> go yeah, well, when, when hide from the world. When you're in film school, you're going to be exposed um, exposed to everything, and yeah. you're supposed to be. If you get That's a bad job. bad reaction, then great. The director did a great job, you know. Exactly. People are so sensitive at the moment. We've done a, a massive um, thing on Facebook and uh, um, on panels and stuff, talking about this triggering in books that. Um, why should we indie authors put a, a label of this might trigger you when the top five Stephen King and all that <laughs> don't bother? Why should we have to do that and then get a bad review because it triggered somebody? I'm well, here's so, the thing. so against if that. Things trigger you. That's on you. You know, like the whole world can't revolve around because now you're going to be like, oh, that triggers that person. That triggers that person. Yeah, it, you exactly. Can't Where say do the you word draw anorexia. the line? Yes, exactly. That triggers people. People. Why are, are you online looking at things? If you're that, if you're that, if you're that triggered by things, something's wrong. Like, yeah 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 something is wrong yeah exactly people have just got like you said from from our generation to this generation people have just uh, got um sensitive they they have more fear um they they have um um more emotions than than we had back then and i don't know if we're ever going to get that freedom back uh. if if these people that are, are you know scared of their own shadow how can yeah, we artists, get them yeah. to be yeah. free like we were 
well, art is liberating, right? And if you're now censoring that, and I have to be like, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that because I'm going to offend somebody. Wow. Why don't we just never leave our house again? But yeah, no, <laughs> no censoring, freedom of speech, write what you want. And if it upsets somebody, then. Oh, tell. I've seen some films that have haunted me to this day that I would never watch again. But mm -hmm. I was like, wow, that was really something. But I'm not like, oh, my God, I'm traumatized. Exactly. I wrote it takes I, away from real trauma. People suffer from real trauma. Exactly. Okay, reading a book or watching a film is not trauma. Like, I, I read a book and I knew it was going to trigger me because I knew what the book was about. Right. It did trigger me and I put it down three or four times, but I finished it and <laughs> I loved it because because you were way, triggered. Uh, because I you was triggered, but I was challenged and it was so well written that it yeah. affected me that way. And that shows what a great job the author did. Unfortunately, it was uh, a like a biographical uh fiction um and that's what triggered me because they were talking about stuff that really happened and i went back to my past and remembered right. stuff that happened and that's how it triggered but i finished that book but i knew and i was expecting for that to happen right well and isn't that something else though too because it made you face those feelings and face your fears and exactly. think about why it, you were triggered instead of hiding from it and you get and closure you get closure and maybe answers and discovery of yourself yeah. and why you're triggered yeah. that's that's to me therapeutic and yeah. if you just hide yeah, from it and you're fearful of things that are going to scare you wow what a bunch of babies we're gonna have a whole generation of babies that are scared of everything no yeah we've got to there's got to be a line to be drawn there really does. Um, so far, so far, there's no actual law about having to put triggers on your books. But I just wish people, oh. I wish authors didn't feel like they had to. And for for you as a um, the director of the film festival, being told or with your students, um, being feeling like you have to uh, put a label on something. Yeah. Oh, I've shown films where people have left the theater. I've done my job if <laughs> they're offended. <laughs> I love but that. But that's back. And now, like, what are they going to do? Like, sue me or be like, I can't believe you. Should. Oh, man, the news has gotten so bad since it became deregulated in the 80s. Like, it's not regulated. And it's all owned by corporate entities. It's about and they say what they want news. to say. And they, they give you all the lies. And yeah, yeah, I so I noticed when 9-11 happened, I said, why is there music? behind the footage, like the, the buildings falling down are bad enough. Why is there background music to make me feel a certain way? So it was then when I felt like news coverage was edited, manipulated yeah. to make you feel a certain way. Instead of just yeah. Walter Cronkite saying, this just in, this just happened. No, yeah. they had to like tweak it in a way where subconsciously people are feeling a certain way. Yeah. <clears throat> so this short film I show is calling light to that. And so, yeah, people are going to be offended, but also I want you to think about what the news coverage really is. But in my mind, the main thing also is music, the sound manipulation. It's so subtle that it makes you feel there's a whole book. I want to go get it and show everybody um, about the different chords and how they strike a different emotion. And when they're used with an image, they create an idea together. So the image and the sound create a subliminal feeling. And that is, that's, that's art. And that's also, you know, it does manipulate emotions and you can do it like for horror films. If you hear a happy song while somebody's getting hacked to death, that juxtaposition of a happy song with a 
a scary image is really messes with your emotions. Sex is a big one. Sex sells. It does. <laughs> That's why this whole Me Too movement thing, I'm really interested in seeing how it affects the Hollywood industry because this industry has been built on sexuality. And so now to like kind of make it uh, asexual or kind of like, you know, neuter it, I'm really interested to see how Hollywood's going to survive that, this movement, the current movement. So you know, tell, me, tell me about the current movement. Well, it seems like men are becoming uh, emasculated. They're kind of scared now of women because they are going to offend them or they don't want to. You know, in my day, you know, I was looking on YouTube that scene between Luke and Leia, not Luke and Leia, excuse me, Han and Leia in Empire Strikes Back, where he's like going to kiss her. And she's like, no. And everybody's like, that's rapey. I'm like, yeah, she said no, but she's like flirting with him with her eyes. Like what happened to this, like, you know, this seduction that this man and woman play? Now everybody's like, oh, that's rapey. And so it's like gone on the other end. Like, yes, Harvey Weinstein is a pig. He's a monster. But now it's like going on the other end. The pendulum is swinging to where like any flirting is harassment. And so I'm like, I'm a single lady. I'm like, how am I going to date again? And I'm not going to lie. I've, I've flirted with men myself to like, you know, get my way or you know hey you know so now it's kind of like becoming really um asexual like it's like uh, it's I don't know how to describe it it's, it's well well it's in, in books <laughs> I mean I'm I, I read a lot of BDSM and I, I write erotica <laughs> and I'm I'm proud of it and I really enjoy writing for you. yeah um but um Oh, good luck getting those made now today. I, I just feel like um, even in like romance scenes now, I feel like they're watered down completely. Uh, I know some some films have to be behind closed doors because that's what the writer, director wanted for that film. Okay, fair enough. People want a nice soppy romance or a comedy romance. Great, no problem. But to actually say that you can't, I mean, the, the last one I w watched, I don't know if you've heard of it, seen it, 365, I think it's called. It was oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. 300 times better than any of the Fifty Shade films. Oh, Fifty Shades of Grey. I was yawning. My personal life was more interesting <laughs> than that. I was like, Fifty Shades of Grey? Really? This is what everybody's going on about? Because like, it was new. No it was new. <laughs> and it was shocking to see it on the screen and to read oh the book was terribly was it so, so badly written that it became famous <laughs> that's what happened the book was so badly written it became famous and then oh, and then it was the film and um the acting wasn't too bad i suppose but uh, there was a lot more detail in the book than there was in the film but 365 i mean that didn't didn't hold any any uh restrictions i thought that was really in your face and that's how it should be and right. people complained about it of course but i actually it. It and give me yeah. part two you know films number two right. coming out when the pandemic's over and everyone can go back to work and do and film number two i can't wait for it to come out and give me more you know yeah I, oh yeah you I'll said this, you know yeah well, I'm the first to say, you know, the, the new Star Wars that came out, the only thing that I felt was compelling was uh, the relationship between Kylo Ren and Rey and that like sexuality with the force. And when they were dueling lightsabers, I was like, that's like 
you know, metaphor for sex. Like, this is great. And then they would go to these other characters and I'm like, no, 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 no. Cut them out. It was just ridiculous. I wanted to focus on this like sexuality of the force and and like, well, it was I'm, amazing. I'm not a Star Wars fan at all. I've never watched the film. Uh, My daughter well, is a huge fan, but- uh, See, now I've, if you're into archetypes it. and the hero's journey and Joseph Campbell, like it does, it, it ticks all the boxes for Lord of the Rings. It's it's as tale as old as time, but told in a different way. And you gotta have compelling characters. That's another thing. You gotta have the characters that have chemistry. You yeah. can't just cast actors because they're A-listers and plot. Like I no, love no, that. No, 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 a marriage no, no. story was a hot mess. I was like, oh my God, him and Scarlett Johansson had zero chemistry yeah. so I they don't do screen tests anymore for actors because it offends them well I don't care yeah I don't care how good an actor you are you should have a screen test because when you may be a great actor but you're not right for the role when did they, no, they stop just, that oh years ago years ago and their contracts are like I don't I'm not going to make the film with the screen test but if you go back and and interesting Star Wars the first auditions like Kurt Russell was up for uh Han Solo and he did a great audition but he, no and then Harrison Ford comes on with Carrie Fisher and you just and see that like, and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, that's so, how it goes. And they don't do that anymore. That's why we're not, mm, we're not feeling it anymore at the movies. Cause we're not getting that chemistry. Cause if the actors have chemistry, then we'll feel it. Yeah. You gotta have that you, chemistry. You, you, your character can't be two dimensional with no feelings. No, um, no the, vulnerability. The, the reader, no the watcher, they need yeah. to, you know, they need to have some empathy. They need to be relatable. Yeah. Uh, they need to be realistic. Even if you're watching fantasy, the characters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's um, a journey too. If you're, um, if you're the same at the beginning of the film and the end of the film, then what did I invest my time for? Like superhero films. Now, I, the original Superman with Christopher Reeve, he had moments of vulnerability and doubt. These superheroes now are so badass from start to finish. Why do I care? The reason why I loved superheroes in the past is because they weren't perfect. And that's what makes them a hero. That's yeah. what we love as human beings is that perseverance, that redemption. And if this you're a badass from start to finish, I don't care. I mean, uh, my my novel, Illusional Reality, which is a, a duology, um, she's just someone like her who then discovers that uh, she was adopted and she doesn't even belong to this dimension. And when she's finally oh. sent home to where she's supposed to come from, she learns that she gets these powers, but she gets um, more powers than she's supposed to. And she finds out that she has an, uh, an evil side another will inside her that's trying to take over and she of course blanks out when the evil part takes over and does what they do and so she becomes the hero because she's been brought back from our time to her land because of the evil you know there's always good versus evil and she is supposed to save them all uh, she's got no idea how to do that and if you can think like you and me how we would feel if that happened in real life would be, hell no, you know, and, and she's stubborn and she refuses to help them. But then she does and she, be, she becomes a hero. But then towards the end of the book, you find out about her second will, her duology right. in herself, and she becomes... And you're telling me you don't like Star Wars. This is the... <laughs> the dark side and the light side like you would love it promise me you'll watch them with that because i'm telling you that's the old one or the new one 
Well, watch the original series. Watch the original. Okay. Not the prequels. The prequels were trash. And then the new ones, what's interesting is that Ray, uh, she has that dark side and she, it's like, and Kylo Ren has the light side. And so they're trying to see the balance in the universe between the light and the dark side within yourself. And I love that theme. And, and what you just described about your uh, work, I'm like, I can't wait to read it. Cause that to me, I hope you I'm fighting with the duality inside of myself all the time and that to me is what the balance that yin and yang that you know and I do I go to the dark side very often mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and we were not perfect as human beings and I think that's what makes these stories compelling but is we, those moments of as, doubt as a, a film director um as a, a teacher and myself as an author um we can't, um, we have to put ourselves in that character's shoes. We yeah. have to go through those experiences. And when it gets dark, it gets dark and we go through that. And then we walk away and we try and chill and get on with something else, but then we go back. And it's the same, I think it's the same when you're writing a film or, or directing a film, um, especially the darkness and the horror and what have you. Um, you have to feel what that character's feeling to get it across the screen, right. to get it right. across the page to the reader, to the viewer, so they can feel exactly like you did when you wrote it. Absolutely. And, and I watch probably 700 films a season uh, that get sent to me. And you can tell when they just phone it in and when you do see that what you just described it's it's a no-brainer it's it, you know people ask me my secret it's really not a secret it's it's just being in tune with what you just said and being aware self-aware of it because exactly. i think a lot of people are subconsciously aware of it but that's the the trick for what i do as a director and and programmer is that you need to be self-aware of that that process it's uh, one of my books it's totally different genre we're going into um uh, MC Thriller, which is uh, Outlaw Motorcycle Clubs. Um, you remember the film Death Proof? Yes, yes. Those women were bad ass. After <laughs> I watched that film with Kurt Russell, I wrote Lawless Justice. And Lawless Justice is about a group of women that lead double lives and become vigilantes in the evening and go out and kick ass, get paid for it. And then they're professional women, doctor, lawyer, photographer during the day and this is the one book <clears throat> that needs to be on screen because <laughs> nothing like that has ever been seen before on a movie nothing like it and the problem is I can't write screenplay I try I was just gonna say I was just gonna suggest to you you need to like send it to me and I'll see if we can adapt it because that sounds like something we should stay in touch and Oh, it, it, the book kicks ass, the girls kick ass, and they go through each um, job, what job they've got to do next. And that, and it's about a new recruit called Cass who was abused by her boyfriend until she started uh, standing up for herself. And she meets the kittens and she sees the sisterhood and she wants that. But she's got to now give up her family or keep the kittens she has to make that choice so yeah I can't write as I've tried I can't write screen oh screenwriting is is really difficult my hat goes out to the screenwriters it's yeah. hard I can write but dialogue oh my god I took a screenwriting class last semester oh it kicked my ass 
I cannot write screenplays. See, I can do the dialogue. That's my favorite part of a book, writing the dialogue. But to go, uh, I can write about interior, da da da. You know, I can write about the emotions, but on screen, you've got to show the emotions. Yeah, you you can't say it. No, you can't say it, and that's gotta show it. Oh, that's what gets me. You know, it is difficult. It it's is. difficult. And it's funny when you like read a screenplay of a film you really like, and it's a lot different than what you see. Some screenplays are better than the film and some films are better than the screenplay. And some are exactly, you know, shot for shot. It's just, it depends. Yeah. Like, I've been, I've been told, you know, if, if uh, it's ever made into a movie that by the time it comes out, it'll be nothing like my book. It will be yeah. Lawless Justice based um, whatever it's called, based on the book by Karina Gantlis. Or story by by Yeah, because they take stuff out and they take characters out and they put things in and they have to think about uh, what's popular and and the the cost, of course. And, and, you know, if there's... Well, you have to decide then, is it worth it to you? It is. Because people will watch the movie and then they'll come to your book. They'll come read the original source. Exactly, exactly. And also you'll get a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You know, when you watch your, your story, yeah. I want to see it on the big screen because nothing's been done like that ever. And I've watched a lot of films and I've, I've read a lot of books and there's nothing like that out there. And it needs to be carrying on. Um, Cause we, we've gone way over time. Oh but, yeah. Um, we're over. We got yeah. <laughs> a little bit of editing to do. Um, where can uh, people learn more about your festival and okay. uh, about what Thank you do? You so much. Thank you so much. Um, so it's zeitgeistfilmfest.org. And so it's hard to spell. <laughs> I should have chosen Zeitgeist, but Z-E-I-T-G-E-I-S-T filmfest.org. And all the films are up there where you can buy tickets. And we are going to continue on. We're as a brand doing podcasts and producing films. We're going to branch out into doing uh, looking for scripts and looking for uh, things to produce. So we're going to be more than amazing. a festival. We're, we're a brand. So That's uh, I'm glad I met you because we are looking for stuff to develop and, you know, reach out and get films made because I'm sick of remakes. I'm sick of reboots. I'm sick of franchises. The money they have spent for these stupid, ridiculous remakes on these best- I know. Remakes! Remakes on, on these classic films. Uh, Zeitgeist, the reason took. why- it, the re- exactly the reason why they were amazing in 1980s is because that was the collective consciousness of you can't plop it in another decade and it has that resonance you can't like don't even get me started my master's my master's thesis was on remakes and I went into Miami Vice and how Miami Vice is the antith that and oh my god the apotheosis of the 1980s is Miami Vice and then you remake it later no you cannot dirty dancing you should never <laughs> send a read Mike oh my god oh. Dirty dancing! No, oh I know. Oh my god! Don't get me started. So there, and the thing is, there's so many good scripts out there. There I've are. Seen them. Exactly. Not taking chance on them. They're, they're like they're not. Let's exactly. do the 80th Avengers film when I could care less about any of them. And I love superheroes, but at this point, exactly. I'm like done. I'm ready to. But anyway, so I know we've gone over. I'm so sorry, but it's no, so that's great. Fine. It's with wonderful you. chatting with you. It's been yeah. so delightful. Hey, well, hey, without writers, we don't have films. Without writers, we don't have books. You know, I I com- I do commentary. I write my essays. Like, we all have... There's so many different ways to write. 
And, and that's what makes us human is how we express ourselves. It's the written language. That's ah, it. I, you, I mean, you're when I, when I was saying the, the beginning about being an artist, uh, you've you've got your hands in every pot, nearly. <laughs> uh, and I don't I know if you play to. an instrument, but uh... Uh, I do do editing. I did play violin, but I do. I I started off editing, but when we spliced film together, not and when it got on computer, when computers and technology get in the way of my art, then I kind of take a step back. Like I, I like I love to your write. old school. I love your I'm old school. school. I'm old school. When I write, I write on my. This is how I do my writing on my old. I tablet. do all my stories, a pen to paper before it goes onto the computer. I'm exactly the same. Right? Yeah. Because there's there's like a, a degree of se- there, there's no degree of separation between your pen and your hand and the paper. But anyway, thank you so much for your time. I wish you all the success you can get. And you as the- well. Let's. I hope that uh, even with the uh, the pandemic the way it is, I hope that you have uh, you sell out and everyone enjoys the festival and it goes really. Well. And I can't wait to to hear reviews about it. And I shall definitely go <laughs> over on the on the site and check out the films that you're um, viewing. Oh yeah, please so do. I and will. I'm gonna. Let's... Thank you so much. It was so great meeting you.